Welcome to Perspectives from Rothschild Co. My name is Laura Kühnlen, and in this series, we will feature conversations with our global investment strategists, Kevin Gardiner and Victor Balfour, to share recent market developments and provide you with key insights and strategic inputs. We had originally planned to record this edition last week, but Kevin, you came down with a cold and Victor was trying to take a one-day half-term break, so we didn't quite manage. But here we are, sounding and looking as good as ever, well, hopefully, and we are finally recording. And there's actually a lot to get through today. We have inflation, which seems to be our favorite topic on this podcast. We have the underlying pressures for inflation. In this context, we need to talk about interest rates, and then we need to touch upon the growth picture and a possible recession. So maybe let's kick off with the general mood in markets. Even though this week we are obviously seeing a sell-off across global markets, the general mood recently seems to appear positively optimistic. So, Victor, what's going on? Uh, so I think you're right. I mean, look, after after last year's difficulties, um, what we've started to see is the kind of, you know, the economic story turn up, starting to turn a cyclical corner, if you like, entering into 2023. Um, and kind of reflecting that, the mood in stock markets was pretty positive in January. I mean, if you look at stock markets, they're up about 10 percent into early February. Bond markets up about 5%. They've given a bit of that back in the last in the last few weeks into February, but you know, broadly stock markets are still up about 5% this year. Um, and the things that you know we're seeing, I think I guess the wider market is is, is focusing on uh, in terms of you know look what's looking a bit more constructive, um, particularly in terms of that economic story, is that you know activity momentum has been better than expected. It's picked up coming into, into the new year. Um, recession fears have eased in the background. Inflation, that continues to, to fade. Um, and of course, the kind of interest rate cycle, which has been you know, sharply tightening over the last few months, does appear to be in the process of, of slowing. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're perhaps not that far away uh, from the sort of peak of that kind of interest rate cycle, if you like. And of course, I could, shouldn't forget to mention the kind of geopolitical concerns, you know, the simmering tensions between the US and China, um, the you know, war of attrition in Ukraine. Sadly, these, these developments do persist, but They haven't materially escalated um, as we've gone through through this through these first kind of six or seven weeks um, of the year either. Turning back to this inflation topic again, can you maybe elaborate a bit more on it? Yes, I mean, look, you know, disinflation—that's the theme at the moment. Um, you know, in the in the case of of the headline rates in the U.S., we're down a little above six percent now. You know, it was around nine percent. You know, seven months ago. Um, in the case of US and uh, UK and Europe, excuse me, you know, we're, we're still quite elevated, still kind of high single digits, low double digits in the case of, of the UK, still quite elevated. What's really driving this at the moment, though, is, is two things. Um, the energy story, which is fading, uh, and of course, the kind of good story, um, which is a kind of dominant driver of, of, of you know, CPI baskets back in 2021, if you like, before the war even broke out. Um, <clears throat> if we kind of separate the two, Looking at the energy story, first of all, you know, oil prices um, in dollar terms, you know, they're down over the past 12 months. Um, Remind uh, us where they stand today. So at the moment, Brent is at about $83 a barrel. Um, and if, you know, for you know, the listeners on the call might remember that we briefly hit nearly $130 a barrel um, just as the war broke out about a year ago. So mm -hmm. we're sharply down on that. And of course, perhaps even more you know, central to the discussions there is, of course, you know, natural gas prices. Um, these have fallen, you know, about 80 percent 
from their summer highs. Uh, we're down significantly. We're still elevated to where we were, you know, pre-war, pre-pandemic, um, but they're, you know, obviously quite significantly down on, on their highs. The other side of this, of course, is that good story. And of course, you know, all the supply chain disruptions we saw through the pandemic um, have started to unwind, and even more than that, they've started to reverse. So if we're looking at things like, you know, global shipping container costs, um, these are almost back at uh, pre-crisis levels, back at almost 2019 levels. Um, the New York Fed does a measure of supply chain stresses and pressures. Their index is, is, is significantly below where it was um, last year. Um, and so I think, you know, that could have quite a potent disinflationary effect, even deflationary effect on the goods part of that basket um, going uh, into the rest of this year. What I would say, just, just as an aside, is that, you know, there has been talk of this sort of immaculate disinflation. You know, we did see the US latest inflation number coming in a bit higher than expected, um, still falling year on year. Um, but I think this view that it's, a, it's an immaculate disinflation was slightly optimistic. It's going to be a lumpy journey, uh, a pretty bumpy journey to get back towards target. Um, we're going to see months where we may well see uh, surprise upsides to, to these prints um, as we go through this year. So it's just something to, to be mindful of. Hmm. Well, it strikes me, Victor, I mean, looking at the, the list of things which have positively got better, as you say, things like those uh, freight charges and some of the goods costs and energy prices that we've been looking at. One of the things that strikes me, too, is, is you know, some of the good news, some of the, the more optimistic sentiment underpinning recent market uh, developments probably has something to do with things that haven't happened that might have done, and in particular, wages haven't really picked up in the way that they could have done in response to the inflation which has already happened and in response to labour markets which are still pretty close to full employment and then more widely again that the good news on inflation not just prices wages too is happening in the context of a global economy which hasn't really weakened in the way that it might have done so remember for most of the last year or so People have been worried about an imminent recession, a big economic setback that they felt was needed to tackle inflation. And so far, at least, that doesn't seem to have been needed. So maybe let's talk about the general growth picture. Unemployment rates, as you said, are now at historic lows in the US and Europe. And we're reading more about the improving outlook. Do you share this view? Well, it's the jury is still out, Laura. I mean, and at the moment, as you say, the labor markets are continuing to uh, display unemployment rates, which are amongst the lowest we've seen in our working lifetimes. Um, we can't take it for granted that things will always hold up quite in this way. But I think there are reasons for being open-minded about this. And when we talk about inflation, most of the time, we tend to have in, in the back of our minds this idea that there's just too much demand out there, too much money is chasing too few goods in the shops, and prices are being bidded up by um, by strong demand. But this episode as has occasionally been the case in the in the past. But in this episode, there's very definitely been a supply problem as well. As Victor was saying, we've had all sorts of post-pandemic supply shortages and bottlenecks and freight issues. And the significance there is that if those supply bottlenecks ease, then you don't need there to be a big setback in economic activity for inflation to actually subside. Because opening up the supply side of the economy itself is disinflationary. Now, as I say, we can't take this completely for granted just yet. But with uh, participation rates in labour markets pretty elastic at the moment, there are lots more workers who could come back into the labour market if they're really needed. 
it's distinctly possible that this favorable conjunction of falling inflation and the absence of recession could continue for a while yet. Of course, that will take us back into the interest rate story, I guess, but we'll come on to that in a second, perhaps. I, I think um, I think one of the interesting things is that the, the kind of narrative that's emerged in, in kind of recent weeks is that, you know, it's gone from kind of hard or soft landing to kind of no landing outcome. And I think, uh, I don't think we like to think about it in, in those terms um, when we're thinking about kind of recession risks, if you like. Um, you know, I think if we're thinking about the range of possible outcomes, you know, particularly the kind of lagged effect of tightened monetary policy makes itself felt, you know, we couldn't discount the possibility that a recession does indeed come to pass. Um, but I think as we've as we kind of noted before, we've, we've spoke through this, this medium, um, you know, it doesn't feel like a particularly imminent risk given the strength of the data. Um, and if we do see a downturn, you know, which is open to debate, you know, it doesn't, it, may end up, it might end up being quite mild um, and short-lived um, in any event. So I think there's a kind of range of possible outcomes here. Um, not just a kind of polarized one or, one or other uh, type situation. You know, a few few weeks ago, we're talking about a kind of peak interest rate of maybe five and a quarter percent now. Um, and importantly, you know, we're thinking about that kind of longer term trajectory. You know, markets are talking about perhaps some interest rate cuts in the second half of the year. Um, those have started to fade too. Um, so they're almost being priced out now, um, out into the end of this year, which for us has always felt like a more plausible outcome than, than the sort of previous one where you know, the Fed would, would hit its peak and then they'd have to have to stop cutting interest rates um, for whatever reason. Uh, and so for us, you know, that that kind of plateau profile, if you like, is now coming into focus. Um, I would also say it's the same in, in kind of in terms of the euro area. Um, expectations in the ECB, the ECB have, have risen as well. So now we're talking about an interest rate of you know, three and three quarter percent, um, perhaps later after just after the summer, um, and and of course, and in, in for the Bank of England in, in kind of in, in UK here, um, we're talking about a terminal rate of about four and a half percent. But certainly, the kind of trajectories do seem to be flattening off uh, beyond the sort of peak peak rates. I know one of our views was that interest rates are likely to stay higher for longer. Can you explain those? So I I think. Interest rates are still definitely the big kind of dominant macro question um, at the moment. Um, and we obviously had a whole raft of, of kind of policy meetings a, a few weeks back. Um, we've had quite a plethora of kind of strong economic data out of the US in particular, strong jobs reports. Um, and of course, you know, signs that the consumer is still spending as well. Um, and what we've seen more recently is that expectations for kind of peak policy rates have shifted in response to this. You know, the kind of Fed's hawkish rhetoric um, that's starting to be to be met, to be kind of more realized in terms of expectations. Um, so if we're thinking about the kind of the kind of peak interest rate in the US, that's some um, 25 to 50, 50 basis points, half a percent higher than it was um, perhaps you know a few few weeks ago. We're talking about a kind of peak interest rate of maybe five and a quarter percent now. Um, and importantly, you know, we're thinking about that kind of longer term trajectory. You know, markets are talking about perhaps some interest rate cuts in the second half of the year. Um, those have started to fade too. Um, so they're almost being priced out now, um, out into the end of this year, which for us has always felt like a more plausible outcome than, than the sort of previous one where you know, the Fed would, would hit its peak and then they'd have to have to start cutting interest rates um, for whatever reason. Uh, and so for us, you know, that, that kind of plateau profile, if you like, is now coming into focus. Um, I would also say it's the same in, in kind of in terms of the euro area. Um, expectations in the ECB, the ECB have, have risen as well. So now we're talking about 
an interest rate of you know, three and three quarter percent, um, perhaps later after just after the summer. Um, and and of course, and for the Bank of England in, in kind of in UK here, um, we're talking about a terminal rate of about four and a half percent. Uh, but certainly the kind of trajectories do seem to be flattening off uh, beyond the sort of peak peak rates. So the last question for this edition, what does that mean for our asset allocation? Are we now turning more positive on risk assets? I think we can imagine doing so, but we haven't done so just uh, just yet, Laura. Um, the backdrop's not that bad, as Victor's pointed out, and as we were discussing earlier, we've got declining inflation, and we're getting that so far, at least without a lot of damage being done to corporate profitability and the real economy. So at some stage, one might imagine that the outlook for risk assets will distinctly take a turn for the brighter. For the time being, though, as Victor was saying, we haven't yet completely priced in the sort of plateau type profile that we're expecting for interest rates um, in particular. And although we've seen some good news in terms of the absence of recession so far, we've still got a few tricky months ahead during which some cyclical risks to corporate profits could surface. And it doesn't feel as if we're completely out of the woods just yet. So for the time being in, in both US and European portfolios, we're no more than neutral as far as stocks uh, are concerned. We are pondering when to buy. It's not about when to sell. It's uh, when we should be adding more, we think, but we're not there just yet. As far as the uh, the, the rest of the, the portfolio is concerned, well, in the case of US portfolios, uh, bond deals are now sufficiently normal for us no longer to feel especially bearish about bonds in the States. And we're pretty neutral about bonds as an asset class. But in European portfolios, bonds haven't really got quite as cheap as they could do yet. And we're thinking that it's a bit too soon to close a long-standing underweight in bonds in European portfolios. So we stay underweight fixed income in Europe and correspondingly overweight cash alongside that. But both for stocks and probably for bonds too, we think that the big questions for this year are not should we be selling more, but when should we be buying? So it doesn't get boring. No. <laughs> Never boring. <laughs> Great. Let's close on that. I see you both in the office this afternoon. <laughs> Any exciting plans? <laughs> it's a promising smile <laughs> all right then enjoy the rest of the afternoon <laughs> bye if you want to find out more about the topics discussed in this episode please go on www.rothschildandco.com forward slash insights thank you for listening please note this audio content is produced by rothschild and co for information purposes only and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the fairness or accuracy of it. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance.